0: A Highline Podcast.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. I'm Stephen Torna.
0: I'm Kat Dwyer.
1: Cat, it's been a while. It has. It seems to have been a while. <laughs> the last few episodes. How you doing? I'm good. I little I don't, I haven't seen you in two weeks.
0: Yeah, I don't Is know. That right? Two weeks? Two weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, things are good. Things Excellent. Are fine. Nothing super exciting to report. You're the one on the big adventure.
1: That's true. We had like a crazy couple weeks there because I had Pasca and then uh, that's right. Oh and yeah. then the wedding. So it was like wild.
0: Yeah, I haven't even heard about uh. Easter or Pascha? Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, my. Okay. Well, I got to do a rundown. Yeah. Give us a rundown. It was like the coolest, most wild thing ever. <laughs> uh, so, series of events. Orthodox Easter was like two weeks ago. And then last weekend was my lovely, beautiful cousin Julia's wedding. So, it's been just jam-packed. So, we'll start in order of events. Pascha. <laughs> so, if we flashback
2: to Saturday evening before Pascha. 11.30 p.m., we arrive at St. Anthony's. The mood is set. Candles lit. The choir singing beautiful hymns. Incense burning. Incense burning. Okay, I
1: can't do this for the whole story, but uh, I would love to. No, it was super, super cool. So we had a evening service for Pascha that started at 11.30 on Saturday. At night. At night. And it's, it was long, It was like a three and a half hour service. Um, and they do all these beautiful songs and singing and like they do uh, incense. Father David, as well as the bishop, we had the bishop visiting. Nice. Would like walk around with incense and they would say, Christ is risen. And everyone would respond, indeed, he is risen. And then they would say it in like all these different languages. Again, this is part of, I, I don't really understand how it works, but they would say it in English, in Greek and Russian and Latin and for some reason Korean hmm. and everyone like knew how to respond in the other language so I was a little <laughs> bit lost there. I needed like a I needed like a dummies cheat sheet. But, right. <laughs> um, that went on and then there was a part where you walk around the church three times and then you bang on the doors of the church which represents... Like everybody? Yeah, well we all, the whole church walked around, or the whole congregation walked around the church three times singing this like easter hymn okay and then the priest bangs on the door of the church and the doors are flung open which represents like satan being expelled from hell oh and then you go inside and then you like continue on with the service (laughs) and then you know it's like two o'clock and the service is over in the morning yeah well no because it was it was like three it was like three o'clock in the morning and the service is over and then everyone goes and congregates, and like every family brings something they call a pasca basket, which is like all of the delicious treats that they've been
0: abstaining abstaining from, from for yeah, Lent, right?
1: And then like there's this giant party, and everyone <laughs> eats and drinks and like it's just having a blast.
0: What did you bring? What was your pasca uh, basket? Uh,
1: me and kayla brought like a massive charcuterie board. We nice. didn't get the basket memo. Okay, everyone, literally everyone had a basket and we had a flat charcuterie board. That's hilarious. <laughs> but it worked. The bougie yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like there was this guy walking around giving out shots of vodka and everyone called him the vodka fairy. That's fun.
2: There's a vodka fairy <laughs> A Vodka at your Fairy. Church.
1: Yeah. Um, and then they had like a giant tent set outside with heaters. And then some people left, but like we stayed, a handful of us stayed until like 6 a.m., one of us ran and got like a vat of coffee. We drank coffee and watched the sunrise. Oh, that's fun. Then you go home and take a nap and then you come back at noon for an Easter service, which is like an hour, and then they have another party <laughs> with like this big lunch and everyone's like drinking and eating again. Wow. It was so fun. <laughs> and I I didn't believe when everyone was like, you should take Monday off. Yeah. I should have taken Monday off. Like, you did not just though. Just so much partying and <laughs> awesome. zero sleep. So Monday was a sleepy day, but
0: yeah. Did okay. your, did your friends make it through the whole thing?
1: Uh, they ended up not being able to come. Okay. But Caleb and I made it. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> that was super fun. Had a killer work week and then headed off to Charleston on early Friday morning. And that was just a beautiful weekend. Excellent weather, amazing food. I told Cat. Just rode like a continual like buzz of yeah. <laughs> alcohol and nicotine for like three straight days, but it was so good to see everyone. A lot of my cousins I hadn't seen in like a decade. Um,
0: and explain what this nicotine is that you consume.
1: There were Zen pouches, right? Which I think is what like. Rec- Where
0: do you find that? Like at like a liquor any, store, any or a ps- gas station?
1: Gas station. Okay. Is that but
0: like a Southern thing?
1: No, it's not at all. I think a lot of people that like stop smoking or chewing <laughs> go to Zen pouches because <laughs> yeah. they're. Air quote better for you.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. But that's anyway. like people
0: who put on like a patch and smoke cigarettes to right, like yeah, extra yeah.
1: <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Anyway, it was super fun and I absolutely adore my family and they're amazing. And so Yeah, and you was, got
0: to see cousins you hadn't seen yeah, in years. Exactly.
1: Right? And it was so cool. It's nice. They're all awesome and brilliant and successful and I was like, ah. and so we, we were it was nice to reconnect and be like, Okay, yeah, we gotta actually make an effort and like yeah. we're adults now we've got careers we've got money like let's put in the effort to like visit each other and so that was really nice totally flew back right back to the grindstone so i flew in monday at 2 and then drove straight to the flathead valley
0: right which looked beautiful a timber, oh that was amazing too so yeah
1: again continued to just basically party and drink
0: <laughs> and build a house and build or a what were you barn a, a barn. timber
1: frame barn okay cool um and so, yeah, and then f- now we're caught up okay. with, with my uh, two week adventure. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Fiend. Yes. Yes. Fine.
2: <laughs> I
1: bow.
0: That's awesome. That's way more exciting than my last two weeks. My last two weeks have been totally nice and mellow. And it sounds great. I'm like, <laughs> I'm starting, I'm like on the off ramp as I said I was going to be. And mm-hmm. like, I realize I don't need to feel bad about taking a break. Mm hmm. This summer from like the writing and the media stuff because it's important to have I need to like I'm going to spend this time like reading all the things and consuming all the things that I haven't had time to because I have to be like in the know on minute to minute.
1: Exactly. So I can
0: kind of pull back a little bit and like build up that foundational knowledge. It's
1: my plan. And then you also get it like. Have your guilty pleasures of like... I was
0: just going to say, or just like, you know... Spicy
1: celebrity gossip. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which I have to say... Okay. Truly. Well, okay. I have two guilty pleasures. One, and anyone who knows me well knows this, the Real Housewives of pretty much anywhere I'm a sucker for. Are
1: any of them actually Real Housewives? I've never seen it.
0: Um, Increasingly, no.
1: Oh. <laughs> but, darn.
0: <laughs> but they're... Anyway... I find that crap to be, like, just... It's just Mm -hmm. horrible, but it's great. My second guilty pleasure that I've just recently discovered is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, (laughs) which is, like, I got sucked in because of the memes in the poop story, and then it just was, like... She literally pooped in his bed. I don't know if you know this.
2: Uh, no. Yes. (laughs)
0: Like, it is the most absurd... It is the most absurd thing you've ever ever seen she gave (laughs) in her her, like opening testimony or whatever she literally word for word like was repeating dialogue from a movie like the amazing Mr. Ripley or something okay and like I love like I mean internet trolls are kind of incredible like the way that they can just like surface this information instantaneously and so there's like screenshots of like uh, a transcript of her testimony and then like her opening remarks and then like a transcript from the film and it's literally like word for word the oh same thing but Was just like with that movie johnny's name in <laughs> oh instead of the ca- it's crazy. she's batshit so anyway the uh, whole thing is like it's terrible but it's i can't look away so
1: i still can't get really over the bad. fact that you tell me she got up on johnny depp's bed and dropped it while it's hot
0: yes yes and when he was getting cross-examined about it and her lawyers were trying to claim that it's it was his dogs and not her and he like had to control himself and not laugh because i guess his dogs are like shizus or something like yeah. this some little teacupy kind yeah, yeah. of thing and he had to explain that like they couldn't have produced the thing <laughs> that he saw <laughs> oh it my god. ridiculous <laughs> totally ridiculous so anyways that's awful but i'm like at work I have to manage social media. <laughs> I'm, like, reading about, like, forest management policy and, right. like, checking Twitter and then I see trending, like, Amber Heard testifies about pooping and Johnny Depp's And you're like, I like,
1: can't why, not look yeah. at that. Like, why is what? this real life? Why is this even happening? Yeah, it's holy moly. so
0: funny. Anyways, so that's the only
1: update I have. The world, the world we live in where um, the Johnny Depp <laughs> trial is, like, word for word broadcast all across social media, but, like, the Maxwell trial, like, no one talked about it. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. different,
0: it different legalities of what can and
1: cannot be Fair televised. Enough. Fair enough.
0: But you're right. Nobody was yeah, even t- chatting about it.
1: So get, anyway. your, get your popcorn out and uh, yeah. get ready for all mm. the uh, shenanigans that ensue, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. It's terrible. I'm ashamed. Well, I'm hoping that things, <laughs> I always say this, but, like, I actually am hoping that things are going to mellow out a little bit. I have been what seems like running all over the place, like job to job. I think, hopefully, my focus is going to narrow into like two jobs and there'll be some consistency. Nice. Less running around. Nice. A little bit of downtime here and there. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, please. It's been a lot, like going to seven different jobs. Yeah. You never know what you're going to do each day. You just like wake up and you're like, okay. We have to decide where, <laughs> what we're going to tackle today. So I'm like ready for that to mellow out. Yeah. the weather's getting nice. It's about time to go mushroom hunting. Oh, the weather. I is know some people good. that found some mushrooms recently.
0: What kind of mushrooms?
1: Some morels.
0: Oh, all right.
1: And so it's like, I got to get out.
0: I guess spring makes sense, right? When it's like yes, damp. Yes, exactly. But- when
1: it starts to kind of get rainy. Yeah. And you get these hot days. Right, so right. So this weekend is looking a little nasty. So I don't know if I can yeah. make it out. But yeah, maybe next weekend find some mushrooms, which would be
0: amazing. There you go. That is that's my other highlight is that I last weekend got my whole garden like prepped and ready to start popping oh, off. That sounds amazing. Actually, I had to mow my lawn. I need to mow my lawn, which was kind of I like was stoked that it was time ty- that time of year again to get covered in dirt and.
2: Oh, this is and good. See we
1: planted uh, all of our herbs <clears throat> last couple days. I need to replant all of my little plants so they can be big and healthy this summer.
0: Yeah, well, you might want to wait depending on what they are.
1: Well, yeah. My little supposed to snow little, on Monday. <laughs> little palm tree looking fellas out in the living room. Oh, the
0: ones inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 We can't sow anything outside quite yet.
1: No, no, so I'll replant all the the houseplants. And then uh yeah. It the weather's getting good, so it's time to try to get out. Yeah. Got concerts to go to.
2: hmm
1: Well, I don't have any to go to, but I gotta start planning that. Totally. What else? Krungbin's gonna be
0: in the Kettle House Amphitheater in uh, Boner,
2: Montana. Bonner,
0: Bonner, Montana. In <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: uh, yeah.
0: my birthday weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Are you going?
0: Yes. Cool. I am going, and about a canoe. So. Well, damn. All right, you got to get out on the water. There's uh, and that's on the Blackfoot mm. River. So I'm gonna oh, try to the merge. No, and the Blackfoot is amazing.
1: These things. And mellow, you can definitely canoe it.
0: Yeah. Cool.
1: I have a canoe. We got to go out canoeing.
0: We should. You have a canoe too? Yeah. Oh my God, we totally should. We can canoe.
1: <laughs> we got to have a race. You and Steve versus me and whatever, my plus one.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that would actually be awesome. We could totally do that.
0: <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> the,
1: the Dwyer clan versus the Torna clan. Yeah. yeah. That, that would be super fun.
0: This cocktail that we're drinking uh, is Oh my dangerous. God, I forgot
1: about the cocktail. We've yeah. just been like rambling.
0: It's like... um. It's so refreshing and, like, clean that, I mean, I could, like, pound this if I was really thirsty, and then I'd probably be a mess, but what what, like what are sh- we drinking?
1: First, I should mix this up and put it in a vat, just have it in the fridge, and mm-hmm. you just, like, pull the tab and... Totally. ...fill it up, but uh, tonight we are drinking a cocktail of my invention. Yes. At least I think. I. It's pretty common ingredients, so I can imagine there's probably something like that out there, but for our cases, tonight we are drinking a lovely... Malakov cocktail <laughs> we've talked about wanting to do something like this for a while and now that we're talking about uh, eastern europe in general uh, it seemed appropriate to uh, apply it now because you know those eastern folk have been known to throw a Malakov cocktail right. uh, a time or two so how i ended up making this drink is Two ounces of vodka, ideally, the purest, finest Russian vodka that you can get your hands on, which I don't know if you can get your hands on it anymore since all those stupid people were like, we're going to throw away all our Russian vodka to boycott Putin or you know yeah whatever right so we're using Polish vodka tonight, but like you know It's respectable.
2: They're authentically. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We got
1: a half an ounce of fireball, only because I was like, oh, spicy cinnamon and fire. Okay, that seems- That works. That works. <laughs> Wanted to throw a little bit of acidity in there. So lemon juice, I did one ounce of lemon juice, and then did half an ounce of dry cacao, um, which is like an orange liqueur. You could use blue cacao, which would be super fun, because if you garnish it with a lemon with the blue cacao, you can get like blue and yellow- to be like the ukrainian Even flag yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so it's pretty good throw that in a shaker shake it up strain it into a glass that i then set inside of a styrofoam cup because styrofoam is a key element of Malakov cocktails <laughs> and then i did a little uh Everclear float on the top so you hold your bar spoon upside down and gently pour your high proof you could you could use a 141 rum or like an everclear just a very high proof liquor mm-hmm. uh gently pour it over the back of your spoon so it floats oh. on top of your cocktail and then light that sucker on fire i had like a little lemon garnish on it so the flames kind of caramelize the uh the lemon peel and uh bada boom bada bang you got a lovely explosion of flavor
0: <laughs> yeah and like i said it's um it's almost just like a punch. Like, you serve this at a party, like, you get...
1: Oh, my gosh. That would be... Yes, that'd be really good.
0: And, like, it's it's nice, but yeah. it, it really could uh,
2: sneak up on you, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, I like it. You now, like you said, it tastes a little more seasonal.
1: Like, this would be a good winter cocktail for sure. I bet you could yeah. even, like, make it warm because it's got, like, the apple juice in it. You could that do, like, a hot one. cider with the vodka and the... Well, I guess a lot of people put fireball in cider, don't they?
2: I don't know. Do they?
1: I don't know. Maybe. It just seems like now, that <laughs> vi- now that I'm thinking about it, it seems like a.
0: It feels, yeah, the cinnamon works.
1: Yeah, seems like it would work. But anyway, it's pretty good and it, it's fun and it's all flamy and <laughs> I don't know. It's cool. But please I like it. make sure that it, you you light it on fire inside of a glass. Like, don't put it in. Don't put it in a styrofoam cup and then light it on fire. Because you're gonna have like a hot melted. Oh yeah. Gooey. Death trap, so... Right,
0: (laughs) then you'll light your house on fire. Yeah,
1: exactly, so... Right. Be responsible with your war-themed cocktails. Your Molotov
0: cocktails. (laughs) All right.
1: So, no complaints. But uh, as we continue on this evening, we should probably just real quick mention, if you've been keeping up with the series so far, last week we went over the... Or I guess two episodes ago, we went over the super quick... Very broad overview of Ukrainian history from like 1900 to 2004?
2: Yeah. Ish. Yeah.
1: Ending with the Orange Revolution. We are going to continue on this evening with this timeline and dive into the 2004 conflict the 20, 2014 or 2014 just, yeah. 2004 yeah uh 2014 coup uh referred to as the uh you're my dan yeah you're my uprising uprising or my dan or the revolution
0: revolution of dignity is what it's also known as yes yes
1: revolution mm-hmm. of dignity and kind of try to unravel that a little bit and uh it'll Just open up a lot more questions and lead us into our next episode, I'm sure. So I know, Kat, you have a little bit more organized notes than I do as far as a path forward in this conversation. But I know we do need to quickly review like that 2004 to the end of 2013 period just to catch up for tonight's main topic. Mm hmm. Obviously, a lot happened in those nine years, but this is going to be really brief because 2014 is like the thing. So, you know, at the end of last episode, 2004, Yanukovych became the president, good old Victor. And then I just have a couple, like literally just like three bullet points leading us up to that. There was always some sort of conflict between Ukraine and Russia. And so in 2009, Russia stopped supplying natural gas. Through Ukraine and Europe as well, which was in the middle of winter, and that was really devastating for Ukraine. Which, as you guys have figured out, like Ukraine just ha- has had it rough, just like perpetually. You know, then you have Ukraine trying to make deals with Russia in 2011. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Shenko.
0: Petroport. Wait.
1: No, no, no. Timoshenko.
0: Oh, the dissident uh, female
1: politician. She got sentenced to seven years in prison for her abuse of office. Yulia. Yulia, yes, yes. Yes. Timoshenko. Because she made a deal with Russia, which then allowed the pipeline to reopen. Okay. And so they got access to um, natural gas again. But we got here, this is going to tie into more stuff later, 2010, Yushchenko, ends up giving a high honor to Stepan Bandera, which was a leader of a terrorist organization, which is the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, the OUN, and who was also a Nazi collaborator. Which is just like I said, we'll lead into that later for another conversation. Uh, but that added some weird tensions to the whole climate. And then I have in 2012, uh, EU and the Ukraine uh, started their negotiations. For Ukraine to join the EU, which was 28 other nations at that time, that pushed Yanukovych to encourage parliament to start passing laws and enforcing things that would bring Ukraine up to EU requirements or criteria for being part of the EU, which again, caused some conflict within the country. And then Russia was obviously very much against Ukraine potentially joining the EU and launched a trade war with Ukraine which resulted in a 10% decrease in all of their exports, which again hit their economy really hard. That's about where I'm at. And then we can talk about the swap, where they ended up making a deal with Russia over the EU.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That actually, that transitions nicely into what leads us right into the unrest in 2014. Mm -hmm. So I guess in general, the Maidan uprising as you just noted, was sort of the result of the catalyst was this EU trade deal. Mm -hmm. Um, So the protests were sort of sparked after the Ukrainian government under Viktor uh, Yanukovych had rejected, well, two things. He rejected draft laws that would have allowed jailed opposition leader Yulia, you said her last name properly Uh, before. Timoshenko. Timoshenko, thank you. Um, she had been jailed over that gas deal, and there was legislation in place, I don't understand the inner workings of their government, mm-hmm. but to release her essentially from jail. Um, and he, Yanukovych, did not allow that to move forward. And at the same time, everything looks like it was on track for this EU trade deal to go through, and then Yanukovych pulled the plug, sort of at the last minute. And that created sort of the opposition he already faced within the country and within the government that sort of sparked off. Uh, they're mounting frustration. And I think it's worth noting that Ukraine's parliament had already, like, they were overwhelmingly approval, uh, uh, in approval of this trade deal. And so I think it kind of felt like a, maybe like a betrayal or it's sort of, they're blindsided, right, by this change. Um, so what is this trade deal? So in mid-August of 2013, at this point, the trade deal was sort of in negotiation. And by mid-August 2013, Russia as you noted, stopped all goods coming from Ukraine being imported into Russia, Mm -hmm. sort of in retaliation of the deal. And that blockade, and essentially kicked off a trade war, that decreased Ukrainian exports and industrial production pretty dramatically. Um, As you said, 10% for their exports and then about almost 5% for uh, their industrial production. So it harmed their economy pretty significantly this Russian retaliation did. So then by November 2013, which is when tensions really start to rise, the Yanukovych suspended the deal, citing that this drop in industrial production and basically saying, like, well, now we're no longer meeting the qualifications for this deal. Mm-hmm. So now we should pull right. out. And of course, they weren't meeting the qualifications because Russia was, right. you know, cutting their legs off from from under them. Right. And so the deal wouldn't br- make them EU members. It wasn't it didn't go that far. Right. Right. It wasn't EU membership, but it certainly put them on the path towards that. That's what freaks Russia out. Um and it would have economically tied them and then of course sort of changed the dynamic, right? And brought them brought Ukraine closer to the West and closer to Europe, um, and moved them away from Russia. And sort of part of the deal was Massive financial assistance yep. from uh the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. They were supposed to be receiving, had they signed the deal, a four billion in US dollars loan mm-hmm. from the IMF. And like all loans from the IMF, which some people talk about this like it's a conspiracy, but like it's makes sense. This is how these sorts of things work. In order to receive that aid, you have to there are, are austerity measures that are required to shore up your economy. So they're not just like giving you cash right. to then burn, right? Um, so the deal would have required some pretty big budget cuts and then they were specifically requiring a 40% increase in sort of the what they're charging for natural gas, right? Um, Ukraine is, has its own natural gas reserves, but it also serves as kind of like a conduit for transferring gas from Russia to Europe. Yep. And they a significant portion of their economy is just like sort of the what would you call it like the transit fees essentially of of passing that gas through their territory um so they were going to have to increase those costs that's another thing that probably was uh an issue certainly not probably was
1: an issue for russia which ties into exactly why russia gave them the deal that they did to counter those offers from right yeah
0: so i was just going to get to that so so then by december of 2013 prime minister of uh ukraine at the time azarov was his last name um he they were still trying to make this deal happen right so he asked for 20 billion pounds or 27 billion u.s dollars um in loans from the eu to offset the cost of the deal and again the cost of the deal at this point is the the cost being imposed by russia starting this trade war so the eu was not willing to go that far but they were willing to to lend 610 million so they originally asked for 20 billion eu comes back and says we can't do that but we'll give you 610 million pounds or not pounds excuse me <laughs> euros wait so um, they went
1: from 20 billion to 600 million
0: 610 million
1: Nice, good counter.
2: <laughs> so I mean, yeah, whatever. Well, they were still going to be
0: getting this four billion loan. Oh, oh right, pound. Right. Or I keep saying pound. Pounds. I mean, euro. Sorry. Yeah. And Russia countered that, mm-hmm. offering uh, basically like cheaper, making cheaper gas prices for Ukraine. Thirty percent,
1: thirty-three percent discount on natural gas.
0: Okay, so that good. Thank you. And then fifteen billion.
1: Yes, in direct financial aid.
0: In uh, yeah, uh, so. And that was in U.S. dollars. Yep. So basically, oh, yeah. And then as a condition for the loans, of course, the EU required major changes to sort of regulations and laws in Ukraine. And Russia basically was like, you don't have to do any austerity measures. We're just going to give you this cash. So they were just like bribing them to like not get closer to Europe. And so they took it. Ukraine took this deal from Russia, rejected the EU trade deal and what that really meant like symbolically was that was them say, like shutting the door and saying no to the West
2: mm-hmm.
0: and cementing their dependence on Russia. Right. And so all of the people in Ukraine who were not only like I mean there was a significant portion of the population who was not only suspicious of Russia but also like actively wanted to move away from Russia and not be associated with Russia correct and saw security in moving closer to the west so when that happened that was like oh shit this guy really is a stooge of putin and in russia and
1: which is so this is why a lot of people think that he was like a pro russian <sighs> prime minister like, to the core, right? President, yeah. President, president, sorry, yeah. president. But then I've also heard a lot of people say that actually he was, like, a pretty middle of the Grant road. Like, you know, what What are your thoughts on that one? I mean... Do you know? Do you care? I, that's he, tough. he wasn't anti-Russian.
0: No, he wasn't anti-Russian. Right. For sure he wasn't. I don't know if I. it would be fair to say he was a complete, like, puppet. Right. Right? Um. He did eventually, like, instill is in like uh sort of retreated and is in exile essentially in mm-hmm. Russia
1: you know it's hard to give motive to people and really Yeah
0: and that. I think like yeah I mean it, and that's kind of like a constant I mean that's like the question of this entire conflict is like I I think there's a spectrum and I think there's some people who are like straight up like no the USSR was like great and mm-hmm. I wish we were back in like the Russian Federation and then there's like people who just see there are maybe to them there's more like economic and security reasons why it makes sense to be closer to russia right and then on the other end of the spectrum it's the same thing there's people who like want to be a part of the eu then there's people who still want to be an independent ukraine but they just like you know culturally associate with the west or whatever or they recognize like no there's more economic opportunity if we're a part of the eu so there's just i don't know i think there's a spectrum i he was very clearly pro-russian Again, I don't I don't know if I could say he was a total right. stooge, but certainly the way things unfolded, uh, it was easy to make a case that he was. Right. And I understand the frustration with this. Like, right. Again, it wasn't just like not citing some obscure trade agreement. It was like making a, It was a really pivotal decision of like, what is the direction of the future <clears throat> of our country? Right. Are we going like forward towards the West? That's like evolving and, you know everyone around us is growing wealthier or are we going and like progressing or are we going to in their minds, like go backwards to like the old empire that we've been like under the thumb of for over a century. So, you know, it was a pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. So basically when they didn't sign this deal, uh, people started to take to the streets a little bit more about Yanukovych. So as we noted, he lost that highly contested election in 2004 which there were all sorts of verifiable accusations of fraud, right? So this isn't to say that, I mean, he was a pretty corrupt guy. But then again, it seems like every politician <laughs> in Ukraine is right. totally corrupt, right? Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, he's, he's not unique in that regard. right? But he was like widely accused of, you know, doing things like using patronage and, and just like using the state to enrich himself and his friends and, you know. The police and the courts and the you know district attorneys, everybody works together. You know there is no real law and order. There's no real justice. Like you got to pay people off. You know it's and it seems like no matter when it would flip from pro Western to pro Russian, that corruption persisted. Right. Exactly. And it persisted. Excuse me. Persisted after 2014 as well. Yes. So like it, there's other problems there, and it's also like that's when you have to look at your institutions and. Anyway, so so yeah, he was pretty notorious for like really flagrant corruption and and they also like economically kind of stagnated and saw other countries that were moving closer to Europe start to grow more rapidly. And so there was just like a lot of dissatisfaction. So again, when he decided not to move in that direction, people got pissed. Yeah. Just some polling data to kind of set the tone um according to Polling from three different pollsters in December of 2013, so right as this is all kicking off, between 45 and 50 percent of Ukrainians supported Euromaidan, while 42 to 50 percent opposed it. Obviously, the biggest support, as you'd imagine, was in uh, Western Ukraine, where more than 80 percent of the people supported it. Among Euromaidan protesters, 55 percent were from the West, 24 percent were from uh, central Ukraine, and 21 percent were from the East. So there were protesters from the East. Yep. Yep there was a bit of a movement there by the time we get to january 45% of ukrainians support the protest 48% uh disapprove and then by march uh 57% of ukrainians say they support it so it kind of ebbed and flowed and i think as we'll get to in our conversation after things escalated beyond a certain point i think it was um there was a lot of uh sort of the narrative around events elicited a lot of sort of sympathy and support for the movement. Yes. Okay. So then do you want to dive into the actual protests themselves?
1: Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's where we're at.
0: I have a quote that I think uh, kind of sets the tone a bit. So I'll just read this out. This, this whole thing I'm saying right now is a quote from, um, I think a BBC story. So in an interview, opposition leader, uh, I'm going to butcher all of these names, uh, Yuri Lutsenko. Uh, When asked if the current opposition was weaker than it was in 2004, uh, Lusenko argued that the opposition was stronger because the stakes were higher. Quote, I asked each of the opposition leaders, do you realize that this is not a protest? It is a revolution. We have two roads. We go to prison or we win. End quote. Mm -hmm. So that was like, those were the stakes. And I think everybody realized that. Like It got to a certain point where you couldn't just like go home and hope that you weren't there weren't going to be consequences, right? So it kind of did become like a battle to the death. I guess I'll just start running down a timeline of events, and you interrupt me or whatever. If yeah. You have, if totally. Things. Okay. So, so the protests erupted in late November. By November twenty fifth, twenty thirteen, protesters were already in the uh, Maidan, basically the square, also known as Independence Square. Yep. Um, in the center of Kiev. So. Uh, this, you know, encampment is set up. People have been protesting there for, for weeks at this point. So then in on November 25th, like early in the morning, 120 police raided and destroyed the tent encampment. The police detained three protesters, including one of the leaders um, from Odessa, Alexei Chorney. And I think it's worth noting that because Odessa is obviously in the east. So again, there was like right. a movement emer- supporting this from the east. By November 29th uh, in Lviv, Lviv, uh protesters numbered like twenty thousand or more. Right. They and then this was something that like got a ton of media attention. Um, they created like a human chain and linked arms, and it crossed the border into Poland. And like there mm. was solidarity in Poland for this movement, and like across Europe and it, and in America, because the whole thing was
1: right, widely right. televised in and the US. And by and by, as early as November, it, it was already a bigger protest than the Orange Revolution, right? Yeah. Like massive.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was huge. Totally. Yeah. And this is also like winter in Ukraine, which is bitterly cold. Yes. And I mean, yeah. So there was it was it was uh, it, it was, captured uh, a lot of people's attention that yes. there were that many people right. like hundreds of thousands across the country, like out protesting. And, uh, in the definitely
1: a logistical feat. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, keep all those protesters. Yes. Uh, taken care of. Right.
0: Um Yeah. Uh, so then uh, November 30th, uh, the protests were dispersed pretty violently by what's known as the Berkut, or I guess what was known as the Berkut Special Police Force. Berkut is essentially the successor to this special police of the USSR in Ukraine. Right. So they're, yeah, they're the, like, the su- successor force for that. So it wasn't like, that's not like your normal beat cop, but those right. are like kind Which, of like your secret Remember. Police.
1: USSR ended in 91 right yeah and so remnants of that regime yeah. still present which we had mentioned last episode that like totally. there was a struggle of like you there were a lot of people that were like no we still want the USSR and there's been that struggle up to even this this point oh uh, yeah but yeah
0: right yeah that has not we're they're still dealing with yes. that struggle. well yeah yeah totally so there's this, you know, volleying back and forth and the pro but they're not protesters aren't going away. Right. Like they're maintaining in the square. Mm-hmm. Um, the police try to clear them out and then they come back uh, by December of 2013, protesters and what became the Maidan self-defense units, various quote unquote self-defense units. Yes. Which are really just like opposition parties and their self-defense units um, or militias. Right. Fully occupy the square at this point. By December
1: yes Uh, can we hold up one second I have a note on the self-defense unit that I have to find so yeah um, the self-defense units that were present in the square were like fascist groups which is crazy but like during this time you know uh, Joe Biden was vice president and he was in direct contact hourly with uh, Andrew Paraboy who was the leader of this Ukrainian fascist group that was in charge of the self-defense units that were basically super heavily armed thugs, which is insane. And then there's more about him later. That guy got put into a position within the government. But yeah, that's kind of the start of <clears throat> the unsavory side of uh, this conflict. Yeah, or the most unsavory side of this conflict.
0: Joe Biden was identified as, I think... uh We'll get to this later in the mm-hmm. conversation, but Victoria Newland, I'm pretty sure, referred to him as like the the guy that they could mm-hmm. lean on within like the administration to yes. support their uh, encouragement. Is that our polite way <laughs> well, of describing it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll get to it. Let's... um. Just note some of those other, like, self-defense groups slash, like, opposition parties that really fueled and, like, drove Euromaidan. Yes. Uh, So, Svoboda. Yep. Which means, translates to freedom in English. That party gained popularity in the late 2000s, early 2010s. They won um, nearly 11% of the vote in the 2012 parliamentary election. Yep. Uh, Between 2009 and 2014. Uh, Svoboda was an observer member of what it's like a basically like a far right or like nationalist coalition called the Alliance of European National Movements. Yep. Because there are these movements th- in like most European countries. So uh, th- and then Svoboda played like a major role obviously in 2014 in the uprising. Their popularity dropped shortly after the 2014 elections, but they were really uh, so that was kind of their pinnacle was at the time of. The Maidan uprising; they right. had a lot of like power and will behind them. Yes,
1: ran by uh, Ola Tanne Tannebach, which who led it. Um, and what's interesting is this is where you get into all the weird stuff where, like, he was a major political figure and was like buddies with John McCain. And there's like tons of pictures of them together, and they would do phone calls, and and you know Joe Biden met him and would go to. To ukraine and visit him and like just crazy stuff
0: and he has like really like blatant nazi like
1: like ultra nationalist, like hitler loving nazi
0: and not just and like <laughs> and i just want to say and we'll like talk yeah. more about this this episode and next episode on this subject but like there is you know i'm i'm cautious to throw that label around right, right. because like in the u.s the Democrat Party throws that around anybody you know they use it as kind of like a bludgeon against their political enemies right. really loosely and really cavalierly, and I think that's a, like damaging right It does a disservice to actual like it it sort of dilutes what that word means right if you use it so cavalierly, but these groups are like straight up with like they use Nazi symbols, they do the Nazi salute yep. they honor like Stefan Bandera like the neo-nazi well, not even he was just, just a nazi, a nazi right. leader that we talked about in our last episode so yeah like very clear Public
1: statements about wanting to exterminate all of the ukrainian jews as well as inferior right. races yeah extreme enough where like after they got power in the government like
2: neo-nazi flags were flying at the capital in kiev so svoboda today
0: Today in twenty twenty two has a seat in parliament.
2: Yes. In Ukraine. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So they've like lost political power over the years, but they still have enough political clout and power that they are have one person in parliament.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Um, the other group that is in a similar vein as Svoboda is uh Pravi Sector or translated to English, it's right sector. Yep. They emerged in twenty thirteen and they also kind of formed like uh a confederation of sorts of different like Nationalist groups, yes, um, that were in support of the Euromaidan revolt. Their coalition became a political party um, in March of 2014, and claimed to have like 10,000 members at the yes. time.
1: Um, and their leader is Dmitry yarash at least at that time, mm-hmm. and he's on public record saying that his goal is to fight Jews, communists, and Russian scum for as long as I live. So this is what we're dealing with. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty cut and dry.
0: Pretty cut and dry. Yeah. They, in 2014, Yarosh, who you just quoted, uh, won a seat in parliament. Correct. Running as a right sector candidate. And then uh, another right sector spokesperson, Borislav Bereza, won a seat as an independent candidate, so not running under the banner of... Mm -hmm. Uh, right sector, but um, he was a spokesperson for them at one point in time. So as an independent, he won a seat in parliament. And then uh, in 2019, the right sector ran for parliament again under a different coalition of mm-hmm. nationalist groups, and they did not win any seats. So right. to my knowledge, the only... Well, actually, I guess I can't say that. Savo has a seat in parliament. Correct. There's also a lot of people that... Um, and I don't want to speak out of turn. There's people who are in... Patriot of Ukraine is like another nationalist group that yes. was a part of the of, right. Yes, sector a lot of these coalition. groups
1: like were like formed into new groups or like joined or were absolved and really more absorbed into forms of the government. Which, when we get to Azov, we can talk about that. Yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're pretty, yeah, gnarly and yeah. hardcore. Yeah, and um, then
1: if we back up just briefly, yeah, before. Totally. This Maidan revolution, the CIA was actively training right sector as well as Dmitry Yarosh. Is that right? Yeah. And Azov Battalion. And yeah, I don't know about Sabota, but I, I'm pretty sure that CIA was arming and also training them.
0: Well, the CIA has <clears> been <throat> doing that since mm-hmm. the 50s which we mentioned in our right. last episode this the-
1: is almost to a t exactly the situation in syria Fuck. <laughs> just so everyone knows like when you look at like exactly what's going on like yeah you need to overthrow a government and the only people that are willing to do that are like the most extreme groups right and so you know
0: You fund and train them. Right. You give them arms. Yes. You hope that you can just control this Mm -hmm. little ragtag group to poke the bear that you're trying to get rid of.
1: So then they hijack a
0: plane or whatever. Yeah,
1: exactly. So this is this is the theme, right? You go in under the guise of spreading democracy, which is just a synonym for regime change. Right. And then you pick the most brutal and despicable groups. To do your dirty deeds, and then it backfires.
0: <laughs> right. And that's not to say that there aren't yeah. genuinely people who, like, w- look at Ukraine's history. Oh, what yeah, ran 100%. 100%. Through. They've been, like, exploited and abused and fought over, and it's been, and, like, the worst atrocities you could ever imagine have been inflicted on this mm-hmm. population. There are absolutely lots of people there who just want to have, who do want, like, genuine, like, democracy and rights and freedoms right. and like self-determination and it's
1: just like i said same thing that happened in syria it's same thing that we saw in afghanistan you know the ruiner of empires like a just a place in the world that has just for centuries yeah been invaded and but just
0: can't be conquered. there's always fully. a power vacuum yeah and
1: the nastiest person fills it and, right so right
0: yeah but it's pretty horrific mm-hmm. um so another little uh getting back to our timeline of events here. So another sort of uh notable moment throughout this whole thing, um, in December on December 9th, a statue of Lenin was destroyed um in a town in Odessa called yep. uh Kotovisk. And so then this, which is a big deal in the eastern part, right? And like obviously that's a symbol of the USSR, mm-hmm. it's a symbol of the Russian Federation still. Um, so they pulled down the statue it's kind of a big deal that inspired similar statues to be pulled down all across the country kind of a rejection of russia then by january 16th the ukrainian parliament passed anti protest laws and they became known as amongst the protesters the dictatorship laws um and they basically banned all demonstrations they banned the use of tents of sound equipment and vehicles until the end of 2014 so this was passed in january so it would have been the full
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Excuse me. It would have been the full year by January. So that was January 16th that gets those laws get passed. By January 19th, there's a huge mass protest, um, the ninth in a row at this point. It gathered up to over 200,000 people in central Kiev. Ooh, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And they were protesting against these laws, right? So they just like were you know mm-hmm. flagrantly breaking the rules, which like good on them, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, very clearly the government yeah. was trying to stop the protests, so that's why they put those laws in place and it gave them an excuse to crack down harder right so then uh police and military vehicles at that point then entered the square where the protesters were i think the intention was to sort of like encircle but then the protesters lit all the the military and police vehicles on fire and basically created like a firewall barricade yes kind of a smart move and then on january 22nd more violence erupted and this is when i believe the first people died eight to nine people died Mm -hmm. in those like that that's like when shit got real and people like cops started actually like firing and people started retaliating and vice versa by the time we get to so like that's end of january by the time we get to uh sort of middle of february 18 through 20 that those are the deadliest days of this whole thing and that's kind of like the crescendo that like finally kind of Brought the whole thing to a head and then eventually ended it. If you look this up on Wikipedia, this is their description. <laughs> they, it says, uh, Wikipedia presents it as the deadliest clashes were on February 18th through 20th, which saw the most severe violence in Ukraine since it uh, regained independence. Thousands of protesters advanced towards parliament, led by activists with shields and helmets, and were fired on by police, snipers. Almost 100 were killed. Mm-hmm. There's definitely more to that story. There
2: is so much more <laughs> to that so story. There's a more to that story.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh. So I, I'll I'll share my thoughts and then yeah yeah and then you share your thoughts. Well, one thing to note: by the end of the conflict, about a hundred people died. Um, twenty five hundred people were injured. Um, the death toll included thirteen police officers, according to like official Ukrainian yes. records. So the rest were all civilian casualties. There appears to be like multiple unconfirmed theories about who started the violence during those two days in February. One of the theories is that there was Russian undercover a- undercover agitators. Mm-hmm. The other theory is that it was these ultra-nationalist right-wing groups, although we really can't say fat, was. Well, we talked about in our ideology series, the spectrum doesn't really make sense, but fascist groups right, hoping to stoke sort of repression from the government to then justify a complete coup. Or the other theory is that it was just like, the asshole brutal police that, like, right. were out for blood, right? Lots of witness testimony. Yep. Witnesses said that they heard shots, and this is, like, confirmed across, Correct. like... And, and I mean, everything from, like, like Ukrainian media to, to, like, the BBC to the Associated Press, like, this is really widely reported. Yes. From lots of different witnesses. People said that they heard shots fired from the Maidan protester-controlled conservatory building. Yes. And then... As we'll discuss, the second round of this sniper fire came from uh, the Hotel Ukraine, which initially was controlled by government forces, but not fully. Um, And that changed over the course of these two days. So the first shots were fired at 8 a.m. in the morning from the conservatory building. Obviously, protesters are confused. They start pushing back. The police are trying to gain control of the crowd. They start shooting. There's a fight, right? Yep. Kind of dies down by 5 p.m., the fighting had subsided. People start to clean up um, like protesters do. And then there's an unarmed protester with his wife walking through the square. Like no one around them, just the two of them walking yep. through the square. He out of fucking nowhere gets shot in the head yes. by a sniper. Nobody walked up behind him and shot him in the head. Like somebody from very far away shot this man out of the blue in the head. And his poor wife just witnessed this whole thing and it's horrific. Yes. Multiple witnesses, including his wife who was next to him, said that they... That that sniper fire came from the Hotel Ukraine. At that point in time, the hotel had turned into like, because of the earlier fighting, had sort of turned into like a makeshift triage center Yep. that was pretty much controlled by the Maidan protesters at that point. But like loosely, lots of witnesses say that it was like, as you would imagine, total fucking chaos. Nobody was controlling who was coming in and out of the building at that time, but it was Largely dominated by Euromaidan protesters and people assisting them. Yep. So that kind of suggests it suggests that, that the
2: snipers were potentially Euromaidan protesters, not government forces. Some of the
0: testimony that I think is kind of compelling or at least raises questions. Um, after the revolution, these people spoke about it. Uh, Ole Muzi was a doctor who was helping like, people who had been shot during the protests. He said, quote, I think it wasn't just a part of the old regime that plotted the provocation. I think it was also the work of Russian special forces who served and maintained the ideology of the old regime. So that's one person who thinks that it was, like, secret Russian forces just trying to, like, spark shit off and, like, yep. you know, finish it. Then, Kennedy Moskal was the former deputy head of Ukraine's main security agency. He said that, quote, snipers received orders to shoot not only protesters but also police forces. This was all done yep. to escalate the conflict to justify the police operation near Maidan. Yeah, sorry, that's another thing I should have noted. Uh, both police, police and protesters and protesters were getting shot. Yes. With, like, yeah. With the same bullets that were unique bullets right. too. And some people were clearly using hunting rifles. Like they weren't they weren't using the weapons that like the Berkut or, you know, government forces use. They were using something different. Then this is, I'm just going to read the entire thing I pulled from this uh, report. Uh, the IBT, or excuse me, the IB Times reported, that's like a Ukrainian mm-hmm. um, publication, I believe, reported that a telephone call between Estonian foreign minister Ermas Payet and high, high representative of the Union of Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Catherine Ashton, had been intercept Their phone call had been intercepted um, in which Payet stated that a doctor named Olga uh, stated that victims from both sides were shot by the same snipers and that Olga had photos of the shooting victims with the same, quote, handwriting. Pyatt said that he found it, quote, really disturbing that now the new coalition doesn't want to investigate what exactly happened and that there is a, that there is stronger and stronger understanding that behind snipers it was not Yanukovych, it was somebody from the new coalition, end quote. However, Payet later denied that he implicated the opposition in anything he was... He denied that he implicated the opposition, um, and he was, said that he was merely relaying rumors he had heard without giving any assessment of their veracity while acknowledging that the phone call was was genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, he tried to, like, walk the whole thing back. And then... A, he, this u s State Department interjected itself when this phone call was leaked and said that it was classic Russian tradecraft, and like shouldn't be taken seriously, even though like the call was genuine, and this guy really did say that he yes. thought and, you, and
1: like, everyone you they're they're on YouTube, you can listen to the phone calls right. and the reports there's mainstream media reporting that has clips of their conversations in them, yeah, like very fascinating <laughs> to say the least,
0: yeah, <clears throat> so they do you know and so when the coup's over and the new you know the opposite opposition group is in power they conduct this lengthy mm-hmm. um investigation it doesn't ever go anywhere there's lots of reports of the courts essentially blocking the investigators like at every turn from basic things they just like stopped, like wouldn't release them to like interview certain people or yep. you know whatever get their hands on certain evidence or conduct certain searches so the thing it never really went anywhere 18 people, or excuse me, I don't have that number right, how many, nine people were uh, detained as suspects of, of the shootings, um, and they were all members of the Berkut Special Forces. And yep. there were, like, government snipers on buildings in that area, like, tr- like there to control the crowd, right? And, like, once they were fired upon, they were shooting as well. Right. But again, all the testimony suggests that the weapons used were not the weapons that those special forces had and they were not, the direction of the wep- of the shooting was not from where those forces were. Right. And they were getting shot as well. Yes. And there are phone calls that, again, you could look up and find between the head of the Berkut special forces talking with the head of the opposition, te- of the opposition leader saying like, like, basically trying to de-escalate and being like, what the fuck we're getting shot at right now, like, and right. there was confusion. So it could even be, honestly, I, I mean, it could have just been a Svoboda or a right sector kind of taking things into their own hand, maybe not communicating with the more, like, pro-democracy side of the protests, right? Right. And, I mean, very likely that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That, as I said, that was like the crescendo of the violence. At that point, uh, Yanukovych sort of conceded an agreement was signed between him and the opposition leaders. The EU and Russia, like, mediated. There was supposed to be an interim uh, unity government formed, constitutional reforms, and, like, presidential powers reduced. Protesters were going to have to leave the square and leave government buildings, uh, and the government couldn't apply a state of emergency. Um, The U.S. supported leaving Yanukovych in power until the new elections were held. But the Maidan protesters demanded that he resign. The signing of this agreement uh, was witnessed by representatives from or foreign ministers from Poland, Germany and France. The Russian representative would not sign the agreement. And then all of this happened, this agreement and signing Mm -hmm. happened on February 21. February 22, Yanukovych flees the country Parliament voted to remove him from office, and he's stayed in Russia ever since. Yes.
1: We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two-sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, Ravel. But the people who just very blandly said, hey, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I actually found myself not asking those people for help. And that's the thing is like, it feels like we're trying to be hospitable when we say, let me know however I can help.
2: Because if I was to
1: ask this person, hi, can you, would you be willing to run the vacuum for me because I had a C-section and I can't run my vacuum for six weeks? And if they were to say no, then it's like, you really didn't mean. Yeah. If there's
2: anything that I can do, let me know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and now, back to our conversation. It's a pretty good summary. Um,
2: <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> you no, know, with the
1: with the massacre, there's a lot of various stuff. Um, My notes were pretty much the same, the conversation that you you mentioned, um, talking about resistance forces potentially being implemented. I also saw during the trial there were a lot of testimonies. There was something like 70 testimonies brought forth. Um, Two of them were Georgians that claimed that there were 25 groups of basically foreign mercenaries, groups of two, so 50 foreign trained snipers that were hired, to position themselves all around Maidan Square um, to implement this. Uh, multiple other testimonies report something like 20 different locations where they think snipers were. And as you had mentioned, a lot of people think that it was Azov Battalion, uh, right sector, as well as some like weird pro-Russian like, oligarchy mm. um, groups. But we do know at least one U.S. service member came forward. Really? Yes. Oh wow! Um, and claims that he was part of it. Let me see if I can pull this As a sniper. As a sniper. So yeah, there's a, just a lot of information about what's going on. So again, take all this with a grain of salt. Um, but it's worth looking into.
0: Well, it's been totally unsettled. Is the part that's yeah, like insane. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not. It's totally unsettled, and intent like people don't want to know. Yes. What happened?
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. So just recapping, we know this is like given stuff that there were people in Hotel Ukraine as well as like the Maydown square conservatory. But the person that came up was in quote, former member of the U S army who said he was given orders on what to do, uh, which turned out to be shooting to Maydown square randomly targeting people, protesters and police alike for the goal to create fear and confusion to implicate the government forces as the shooters to create the chaos necessary in order to undermine the government and president Yankovich.
0: That's what his testimony yes. said that that was his, yes. the purpose um,
1: who fled Shortly after the event, realizing that his own life was in danger.
0: Oh, yeah. They were going to kill him for sure. Um, Yeah.
1: His name, uh, or at least the alias, was Brian Christopher Boyinger. But this is where it gets interesting. Later, he was implemented into the Ukrainian Georgian Legion as a leader of that force. Hmm. Which then, shortly after in 2016, got absorbed into the Ukrainian army as just a... Mm-hmm. government like a battalion, or battalion. Wow. It's just like weird, you know? So it's yeah. like all these things, Just it's, again, reading all of this, and it's just really confusing and unsettling.
0: Well, there's a lot of The Enemy of My Enemy is My Friend at play.
2: Right, exactly. A ton of that. Exactly. Which
0: gets messy immediately. So to sort of corroborate that testimony he gave, in one of the links that we'll share in the show notes, uh, there's a really fantastic uh bbc story on this interviewing people like posts i don't know like six or so plus months after the new government took control and they interview a man ukrainian who was basically recruited by some of these special uh forces i don't know if it was he didn't he didn't name names right so i don't Mm -hmm. know if it was right sector or or what but the opposition sort of like militias Recruited him and, like, didn't really tell him much. Kind of had cryptic, like, do you know how to shoot? And, like, are you comfortable killing? That kind of thing. Kept him very close. I shall correct myself slightly. He said that the person who took him under his wing kept him close and, like, was really adamant that he not join up with any of the, like, really radical nationalist groups. So maybe it wasn't right sector or Svoboda that was a part of this. But, like, um... Again, he wouldn't name names, so I don't know. But but he basically he was targeted from the, like early on, kept very close to people who were helping orchestrate and lead this movement. And then when this day came, February eighteen, he uh, was basically given a gun and ammunition and was sent into. Uh, he was in the conservatory building, mm-hmm. and same sort of thing. He claims he was just told like, shoot into the crowd. And he said he was intentionally aiming for people's, he didn't want to kill anyone. So he said he was intentionally aiming for people's feet, for their hands, and he was like a good marksman. That's why they had identified him, right?
1: Right. This is another thing too, which is counters the whole argument that it was just like random protesters, is that did you watch any of the videos of people being shot? No. It's, there's, there's a video where like five or six people all get shot pretty close consecutively, and like one guy gets shot in the leg, one dude definitely gets shot in the arm, and they're kind of flailing around on the ground, but they're definitely not fatal shots. Right. And these protesters all have shields forward, and it looks like they're clearly being shot from behind.
0: Behind, exactly, um, because it was on their yes, controlled territory. Yes, exactly. So they weren't expecting and so it. so,
1: this is where the argument goes in that, like, no, these are highly trained, like, marksmen. Right. Um, right. You know, if you're, especially when you're talking about Someone shooting someone in the head, you know, a walking target getting shot in the head. Is insane. Right. Like. Yeah. Right. Takes more than just luck or, you know, you have to be a pretty elite soldier to do that kind of stuff.
0: Right. And it sounds like these people were intentionally like he was alone. He was alone in a room in this building. Yes. um, And then he, he describes that at a certain point that the pro Maidan like group that he had been with eventually like burst into the room that he's in and they're like stop you're done and like they're harsh with him you know they're like stop doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. and nobody would say like we're telling you to go shoot this like it was all very cryptic but he like understood what he was supposed to do and then you know when they came they weren't saying like stop shooting protesters they just came in they're like you're done with your job right now like come Mm -hmm. with us and then he was you know ushered out of the building and so it sounds like they intentionally which would make sense like he didn't know who the other shooters were they didn't know who he was nobody has totally clear directions they don't know the end goal like you know right so, yep. so everyone has sort of plausible deniability and they don't they don't have a lot of detail to share right, right. it was orchestrated well
2: yeah exactly. Really.
0: And then once, you know, the opposition was in power, they obviously had no incentive to really get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like there, again, was division within the opposition. There were the people who were genuinely like pro-democracy and wanted transparency and probably weren't put in, kept in the loop on this whole thing. And they wanted to get to the bottom of it. And then there were the people who like knew what had actually happened and wanted to prevent getting to the bottom of it. Yeah. So, I mean, like as soon as that government took over, it was fraught with like controversy and corruption and right. yeah the problem never really got resolved. Yeah, so Yanukovych flees the country, parliament votes to oust him, they hold new elections, Petro Poroshenko becomes the president and simultaneously the Crimean parliament repeatedly stated that because of what happened in Kiev, they were ready to to join to be and I guess Crimea was technically like autonomous at this point in time Correct. or kind of like a neutral state and at yes. that so after this uprising they were mm-hmm. like Fuck Ukraine, we're going to go be part of Russia. And
1: they said they wanted to succeed and they wanted to yeah. vote on it.
0: Right, yes. right. And so they held these elections, which the West, of course, said, like, were phony. I don't know if they were or not. Right. And, of course, let's be fair, At the same as all of this is happening, Russia's doing everything it can. And it did. I mean, it kicked this stuff right. off because Russia was undermining their, you know, EU trade deal. Like, Russia's also dirty dealing this entire time as well. They're just, it's, again... This region being fought over and people getting caught in the middle of it. So, yeah, pro-Russian gunmen seized key buildings in Crimea, took control of the Crimean Peninsula, which, as we noted in our last episode, has an ethnic Russian majority, Correct. which, when Ukrainians were starved by the Soviet Union... A lot of these regions were repopulated. Eastern Ukraine and Crimea were always the more industrialized part of the country. The western part was like mm-hmm. rural and ag. And... Anyway, so those Russian populations, you could argue, maybe this is really controversial, but I seem, I think it seems like they were intentionally like depopulated of Ukrainians and repopulated with ethnic Russians during the Soviet Union. And whatever it is what it is today, that's who's there. But again, it's like kind of just a dark right. history in reality
1: yeah so the Crimean parliament approves their motion mm-hmm. to join russia right and then the ukrainian prime minister then calls out that move as being illegitimate it's annexed then, by russia yeah and then the
0: fighting mm-hmm. in the in yep. the east that is happening still today mm-hmm. kicks off yes right and like i mean i think I think most people do know this, but it's just not really well articulated in American media as we talk about the current conflict. Like there has been a war going on in Eastern Ukraine since 2014. Yes. So all like, so that all that fighting, fighting started. And, and
1: this is what people don't realize: like tens of thousands
2: of people have died yeah. fighting since 2014.
0: Yeah. Fourteen thousand, approximately. Yes.
2: Which is Which is
0: probably an underestimate because it's hard to know. Yes. Yeah.
2: And so you
1: have conflict with Ukraine and Russia. And then on top of that, in Ukraine, there is a massive problem where there's just rampant militia groups fighting Russia that a lot of them are tied to some of these fascist groups and, and Nazi groups that refuse to join the Ukrainian military. And so Ukraine... Is trying to like rein in these groups, but they're just like on the front line fighting.
0: Well, and haven't they also sort of exploited or like allowed these groups to fight because they'd rather
1: like they're doing the fighting for them? Oh, yeah. I mean, they basically have unlimited access to like small arms. Right. Someone's giving it to them.
0: Right. Exactly. Where, yeah. Well, and then that's where we noted in our last News and Brews how yeah. Ukraine is notorious for, like, weapons smuggling, right? So right. there's all kinds of weapons coming in from, like, the Middle East. and uh, Yes. There's a lot of... And
1: within five minutes, you know, the U.S. was like, we don't know where some of these weapons went. Like, we shipped them over there and, like, they just vanished. Yep. So that's nice. Whoops. Um, and then, you know, tied in with some of these extremist groups that are just the Wild West... There's also reports of, like, them also aligning with, like, Islamist groups currently. So now you have Nazis and Islamists, yeah. like, fighting together with also, like, you know, the president who's Jewish.
2: Right. Like, it's...
0: Well, that's where it's, it's like, a, a weird... literal,
1: weird, nightmarish yeah. mess.
0: Well, that's, again, the enemy yeah. of my enemy, yes. right? And, like, for sure, now that the whole country's under siege, like... For sure, they're going to lean on mm-hmm. these fascist militant groups that frankly are like, they're the best fighters they have, you know?
1: Well, in the Azov group, which I don't know if we mentioned Azov. We haven't talked about them okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. Azov group is like notoriously talented, if you want to praise them, at fighting. At this time, there was thousands of them. I mean, many thousands that were members of of Azov. And then shortly after the initial conflict 2015 azov got formally absorbed into the national guard
0: that's right that's right yeah right
1: and so they they then they come from a political
2: stance they're like oh yeah we don't have any like nationalists anymore in our group and that's because it just got brushed under the rug they rebranded they rebranded <laughs> yeah which is
1: insane. Yeah. As well. Um totally. So now it's like you've got another government funded group of you neo know, Nazis. And I have to that say that are the National Guard.
0: Right, which is yeah. <laughs> I have to say, like, it's 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 challenging and again some of the notes that we'll share. Um there's a BBC like little uh mini doc interview with some of these people, some of these groups shortly after 2014 because like western media and we need to talk about u.s involvement but like western media was totally supportive of the uprising painted it in very like binary terms of like pro-democracy protesters and like evil corrupt government you know the initial sniper story was just presented as wikipedia presents it today of like government snipers picking off random civilians which increasingly is clear that is not what happened but six months plus afterwards some media in the west like the BBC and the AP and stuff started to question things and they started to realize like oh shit there actually are these like fascist groups that are a part of this uprising mm-hmm. maybe they knew it from the beginning but they thought it like well whatever we want to get Russia like we want to get the person in the country that we can control instead of the one that we can't um Some of the people they interviewed, you know, some of them very clearly are like making excuses for like the Nazi elements. And then there are others who are like, I'm not a Nazi. I'm a nationalist. And to me, like I have pride in Ukraine and like I want Ukraine to be independent. And like Ukraine Mm -hmm. has suffered for so long. And I want to have one nation and one people and like our culture. And I believe in it. I'm honestly I'm sympathetic to that like I get it you look at their history and like I fucking get how you could have like immense pride in your cultural heritage and like view Russia as I mean it is an enemy to them right and it has been like brutal and cruel and is still today obviously right like I get totally get that
1: and 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 where this gets into is like those people I think a lot of times view like the current government in Ukraine as just being a western puppet yes, government exactly and not a ukrainian government yep and so the only places that they think they can go to are these groups that are vocally nationalistic right and it's like well this is just now an american puppet regime versus a russian puppet regime yep and that's not what we want right and so you know these groups are really good at recruiting and notably like good at recruiting internationally which is wild which is wild and i think maybe we save that for another conversation because okay. getting into that it is insane it's almost like the like punk era like skinheads versus like the punks like they're using like music culture and you know well the modern wonders of the internet to like recruit people from all over in ukraine And you have links to like Azov groups in white supremacist attacks across the globe. And, you know, they have their fingers in South America, which if anyone knows the history of the Nazi party, like a lot of Nazis fled to South America. So there's like, you know, Nazis in Brazil and like all this crazy stuff. As I've been learning about this, I'm like, oh, this is bad. Yeah. Like it's it's I think it's worse than people are. uh
0: Well, and it's also not the version that we're, it's not the story we're being told. No. Where there is fear mongering around, you know, white supremacy, of course, which I don't mean to minimize white supremacy. White supremacy is a horrific thing. I think where it's identified in America is not where it actually is. No. And ironically, the people who decry white supremacy are totally on board with sending funds and ammunition to the... The place where it is very likely, if not absolutely yes. without a doubt, being funneled to actual white supremacists.
1: Yes. Uh, I want to just touch on this just briefly for context. Yeah. About like the extreme differences here. Okay. The Charlottesville incident in the United States, horrific. That, correct me if I'm wrong, it was something like a hundred. Identified white supremacists marching.
0: I don't remember the number, okay. but it was a big group.
1: A hundred, I think, is the number. Okay. There are videos of neo-Nazi demonstrations
2: in Ukraine of twenty thousand people, right? Marching, right? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It's just like I think people overplay the problem in the United States.
1: And are currently seriously underplaying the problem in
2: Eastern Europe.
0: Right. Well, and the fact that I think, as you said, we we'll probably should devote a whole other yes. episode to this. But you hinted that there were that that attack in Charlottesville was
1: linked back to Azov. Right. Right. Yes. So as well again, as the mosque shooting in New Zealand.
0: Right. So the irony of us targeting, you know, people who watch Tucker Carlson yeah. instead of and being totally OK with sending billions of dollars of like high grade weapons to Azov. Right. Who then is potentially actually <laughs>
1: like radicalizing. Right. And recruiting people
0: who are conducting all, yeah. attacks in the U.S. and abroad. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean you can't you couldn't write this it's absurd. Yes. It's absurd. So, yeah, the US uh well, one thing before we get into US involvement, I just want to emphasize a point you just made um about how they these groups were dissatisfied mm-hmm. even after this uprising and revolution. They in in these BBC interviews that we have in the show notes, for them it didn't really end, right? And for them to your point they viewed the new government that came in as just a puppet of the West. Yes. And it was. Yeah. I mean, it was. It, yeah. it absolutely was. Um, and, and so, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, like, I guess I'd rather have a Western puppet than a Russian Putin puppet, but it's not an independent state fully, right? And they were dissatisfied and they want, I don't know exactly what their vision is, but they want their national identity and they do not want to be under the thumb of any foreign powers, which I get. And my concern, you and I have talked about this offline, like they are for sure helping. These militias are definitely helping in the current battle. Mm -hmm. And if Ukraine prevails... It'll be in large part because of these militias. They're certainly like, you know, a big part of what's taking casualties on the front line in the east, right? Correct. Will they demand, they will demand, I would assume, mm-hmm. more representation and power and authority over the future of the country, if and when. And if they don't get it, it just feels like it's it's reaching this point that like... I. I, I <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever stop until they have power at this point, right?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think they will. Yeah. Because that's and, their goal. Right. And, like, these groups are, there's a reason why they persist. It's because they're pretty well organized. They, they're they motivated. And, like...
0: And now they're well funded.
1: Right. And so, like, the Obama administration, John McCain, all of these people can try and exploit these extremist groups. Like we saw in Syria. And and they think they're right. doing it strategically. Strategically. Right. But these groups are smart and they just see it as an opportunity. Right. To leverage.
2: They're
0: playing the game too.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so I was talking to someone just last night and it's one of those things where it's like, no matter how this is resolved, like I can't see anything other than like no joke there being
2: a Nazi problem in like a decade sooner
0: than that and we will have yes. helped like turbocharge it
1: right right and you know if something crazy like is overthrown or putin's put out of place there is a massive population of neo-nazis in russia yeah that can are you looking... explain
0: that whole yes yeah. so
1: from what i understand again I, I if we i really think we should do just a conversation on like the Nazi groups, yeah, in the region. But from what I understand from like the USSR period, there is like a huge ring of neo Nazi criminals in Russia that hate Russia. They're they run prison syst- systems, crime rings, all this stuff. Um, again, like hit,
0: gangs within the prison system,
1: yes, and then outside, yeah. obviously, like these right, massive right. crime rings, things like that, right? That aren't Nazis, not so much because. They wanted to be Nazis, but because it, during their uprising, they just kind of wanted to like identify with the most anti Russian thing they could think
0: of anti soviet in
1: particular yes anti soviet right. particularly, right. which were Nazis at the time, yeah, um, right, and so it's just kind of grown and evolved, but like, I think they've become so absorbed with that that whether you're it doesn't matter if you like actually are a Nazi or not, like if you call yourself a Nazi and you align with them, like you're <laughs> right. a Nazi right right, right. And you're violent and, yeah. And so, say Russia, something like that gets overthrown and now Ukraine is funded by the EU and all this stuff. If a Nazi majority, like, overtakes something like Ukraine, they now have EU money backing. They can then come to a injured Russia and say, hey, let's try. They're going to have their own color revolution where they help Nazis come to power in Russia.
0: And not, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Look, there is a lot of Russian propaganda, right? And like a lot of this, you know, Putin does leverage this for his own propaganda purposes. Full stop. That's real. We're not claiming that's not real. Right. In addition, they're absolutely, that is Putin's fear. Because he knows that there are these opposition groups within his country. There are, again, there's a spectrum. There are people who are just, like, pro-democracy. And then there are, like, people who are fucking hardcore. And they are, have this legacy of whatever is the most anti-Soviet thing you could possibly be. Which, for America, from our perspective, World War II, we have a totally different perspective than Ukraine and Russia. They're still living out World War II in many Mm -hmm. ways. And, like... So the the Nazi Soviet, I mean, that like that was the battle of World War Two for them. The Nazis, fuck, they annihilated Russia when they rolled through. Right. Oh, yeah. And then Russia had such big numbers and they were able to eventually like whittle down, obviously, with our help and whatever, kick, mm-hmm. destroy the Nazis. But like that battle still going on. There's a legacy of that. um And. That is Putin's fear. Like he knows that those opposition groups are there. He knows that those opposition groups are in Ukraine. And that's, yeah, there is a potential for them to Mm -hmm. collaborate.
1: And then if Russia collapses or something like that, just like in the 90s, the West is going to just keep Russia under their boot. And then if like a Nazi party comes to power, you know, you now have a majority of Russia that are not Nazis. Yeah, that are disenfranchised, probably poverty, you know, ridden like all these things that will be the result of strict rule over them. Right. Like the losing party that are easily. Frankly, manipulated or like encouraged to join the movement. Right. Like, look what the West did. Look what the West did did to you, you know, and this is all speculation, obviously, but like this is exactly what has happened in the past like yeah. different groups all throughout history like not even modern history but like this is the theme right of how things work like right. s- someone is conquered bad people get into power you know the old enemy that you know unfortunately the civilians are always the ones that take the brunt end of all of this right they're disenfranchised you can then use them for your ends and then it like all repeats right so
0: right yeah, because it's typically yeah. the people who are the most brutal that yeah. win in these situations, right? And
1: they can just be like, "Hey, look what the West did to you!" Like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna protect you and take care of you, and you know.
0: Well, speaking of what the West did,
1: imagine if Nazis rolled through Poland the opposite direction next time. <laughs> oh, good lord! It's
0: terrifying. Yeah. Well, and then you think about how this whole situation is destabilizing the Middle East because of the food sh- shortage issue, and like that type of famine breeds Mm -hmm. political violence, right? And in Europe is bracing itself for like another wave of of migrants. Exactly. Which in the mix of the migrants are, you know, radical, violent people. And, you know, yeah, I mean, this whole thing has a cascading effect that is pretty fucking devastating.
1: Just like we saw, you know, several years ago, you, you then in the Middle East have groups like the Caliphate and isis that were brutal rulers but were really effective rulers just from like making things work so when you hear stories about like the caliphate coming into power like they ran the government really well like people were fed and they worked on infrastructure and like simple things like trash was always removed and like they got these cities working again and so If you have these extremist groups that are organized come in to a area that is struggling and they're like, we might be brutal, but look, we're taking care of things. Yeah. It just escalates.
0: I just want to say, I think the the bar is really fucking low for what's working because, like... Oh, yeah, exactly. The Taliban in Afghanistan might have some semblance of, like, brutal order in place, but, like, people are literally selling, like, organs to survive. So, like, it's not as if they're living in some, like, peaceful right. situation. Exactly,
1: but when things get dire... Right, right, right. It doesn't take much. Yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah. it's... right. Yeah. It's like yeah. everything's interconnected.
0: Well, Right. <laughs> No, it's yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it is in some ways a giant game of chess, but it's human lives mm-hmm. on the line. So let's talk about U.S. involvement in 2014 because yes. there's a lot of that. Um, I'll just run down like an overview of what my understanding is, and I think there, there's like more detail, and I think we'll probably disappoint your friend, who's our loyal listener,
1: Zach. Zach. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. want
0: to disappoint you, Zach, but like, I don't know. It's my brain's gonna explode. I
1: didn't. I didn't have the energy to even like dabble into that because like very much because yeah. we're going broad we're trying to touch on some things that i think are inappropriately reported on or were under reported under reported on right? yeah but then like you get into a whole nother layer of just like insanity yeah that, I, that i'm not saying insanity is in like not realistic but just like hard to even
0: you open a rabbit hole and you're like, like holy shit, I didn't know it went fathom. this deep. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah,
1: that's true. Think about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So again, I think that's why these it's kind of it's good. I guess these conversations are sparking a need for deeper conversations that we will have. Um. So obviously, the West, the US and the EU made it clear that they supported the demonstrators. They wanted to get rid of Yanukovych. They painted him as like a dictator. I'm not saying he wasn't. Mm hmm. But anyway, dictator is a strong word, but, yeah. you know, whatever. He was a corrupt leader <laughs> mm-hmm. who was sympathetic to Russia and was screwing over a lot of people in Ukraine. Obviously, the U.S. wanted the EU agreement to go through. Um, We would benefit from that kind of trade. West made it very clear that they supported Maidan. As you noted earlier, John McCain, senator at the time, mm-hmm. and at the time ranking Republican on the Senate Armed Services Committee, went to Kiev to show solidarity with the activists. He dined with opposition leaders, including the leader of Savo the Savo excuse me, Savota Party yeah. that you named earlier. Mm-hmm. Oleg Tignibok. Is that the name of the leader? Am I getting that right? I think Oleg, so. Ola. Oleg. Yep. Yeah. Um and they and he did and 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 so back up sorry just like in the orange revolution NGOs and and then like straight government sponsored from both the democratic party and the republican party nonprofits were supplying food uh logistical support
1: uh yeah they had like concerts
0: concerts they were yeah, helping well, yeah. make sure that there was like entertainment to keep people out in the freezing cold yes. temperatures food Blankets, water, like making mm-hmm. sure they had all the things that they needed to keep people out, tents, and again logistics, uh multiple like new pro Western media outlets yeah, like, popped it, up.
1: What was it like within two days, like four new Yeah, me- three or four new media, media outlets
0: were yeah. created just yeah. to report on Right. Right. Yeah. Uh <laughs> clearly backed by western money, yes, um, and you could frame that as like, wow, these are you know these are oppressed people, and mm-hmm. we're freedom loving wanting to support democracy, and so we're gonna like infiltrate and help these people like get the tools they need to emerge and be right. victorious, you know, I mean, there's an argument for it, uh it is absolutely blatant uh election interference, <laughs> or yeah just yeah. interference and meddling, but anyway, so there was a lot of like there was kind of almost like a carnival atmosphere to the whole thing until like snipers started picking people off. But, right, it, you know, went on for months. Right. So so John McCain goes there. He's on stage at one of the events throughout the protests with the leader of Svoboda giving a speech, standing next to him, complimenting him, talking about him as like a freedom fighter there are these horrible pictures you can see on the internet side by sides of like John McCain giving a speech with this guy next to him. And then the next picture is this guy giving a Nazi salute at like a Svoboda rally. And it's like, Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh victoria newland is kind of she's the main sort of american political figure that was probably the most deeply intertwined at least that we know of she was she's a democrat assistant secretary of state for european and eurasian affairs under the obama administration she was really brazen in her support for ousting yanukovych she traveled to ukraine three times in the weeks following the start of the protests on december 5th she actually like, went amongst the protesters and was passing out cookies as, like, a show of goodwill. Yeah. Kind of a PR stunt, but whatever, (laughs) she was there. And then this bombshell dropped in the middle of all this. Uh, Russian intelligence intercepted and leaked to media around the world a phone call between Victoria Nuland and the U.S. ambassador to uh, Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt. Mm -hmm. And on their phone call, they were just, like, I mean, it
1: was very clearly an off-the-record phone call. Oh, yeah. Like like just a fun conversation. Yeah. It's wild.
0: Talking about going through who they preferred to take over specific posts once Yanukovych is ousted. And at this point, the narrative is America just supports this pro-democracy movement and it's nonviolent. And all we're doing is paying lip service to it and giving people cookies and just trying to be Mm -hmm. supportive. And then it turns out there's two fucking people in the Obama administration who are behind closed doors. Not just like it wasn't like it wasn't just a fun conversation of them being like daydreaming about what it would be like. It was them saying like, no, we're going to put this guy into this position. and We're going to put that like very like they're in charge.
1: Well, yeah. And they're talking. And then, you know one will be like, No, 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 that's that's not a good idea. Like right. it should be so and so. Yeah, they were strategically and, and, and talking. And they're about like, it. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It should be like yeah. they're making a list as they're talking.
0: Right. Yeah. So the their their favorite candidate was someone named uh Arsene yat And Newland refers to him as she says, quote, Yats is the guy who's the best for taking over, I forget what that position was, mm-hmm. um, as prime minister. And he did become prime minister once they got rid of Yanukovych.
1: Yeah. Well, right. But remember, they held that emergency election. Right. <laughs> and, he, and he won. So that's fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to scream into your ears, <laughs> listeners. But
0: it's just crazy. Right. It's yeah. crazy. And, like, this is just known. Yeah. And then, like, the U.S. media and, like, the Obama White House just, like, pass it off as, like, well, that's just Russian propaganda. It's just like the Hillary emails and it's like, mm-hmm. but, but the emails are real. This phone call is real. Like right. what you were saying and what you have done is real and it's documented. Yeah. Maybe Russia leaked it, but you did the thing. Right. It doesn't really matter how it got out. Yeah. That's not the crime. The yeah. crime is you fucking like the clearly. Is, <laughs> is, this is
1: what people have to realize, like Russian propaganda isn't just instantly necessarily false. Like, people don't realize, like, propaganda can be 100% factually true. Right. Like, it's just, what is the function of the information for? It's to convince people to right. be pro-Russian. But, like, just right, because right. Russia puts something out doesn't mean that it's false.
0: No, they exploit our weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. And we do the same for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but I think we're not, not weird... rooted in bullshit. Yeah,
1: exactly. And yeah. I think there's, I, mean, I don't know, at least in the West, I think there's, mis- like, people are like, if Russia says it, it's not true. And you're like, are you joking?
0: I'm sure there's a heck of a lot more, but that was like the most damning and obvious, and I feel like fucking case closed. We're done talking about it. Yes, and then the that's evidence. where you
1: get into weird stuff, where like you know, what's his face, the U.S. soldier that claims that he was part of the sniping, who then gets like right. promoted into a position of leadership within the army, like immediately after the election, within the U.S. Army, within the Ukrainian, no, the, the yeah, Georgian he got absorbed Legion. into that, yeah, okay. exactly, right,
2: right,
0: right,
1: yeah. Like he admitted to like murdering innocent civilians, essentially, and then
0: like for a good cause, I guess. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> God. it's just wild, right?
0: Yeah, it's the um, same. The U.S. spent five billion in Ukraine, quote unquote, promoting democracy since 1991. Right. Yes. Promoting democracy is a euphemism for undermining Russia.
1: Yes.
2: Which
0: maybe we want to undermine Russia. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But that's what people need to realize, and I think we mentioned this last time. It's like, I truly don't think there's a good guy in this situation.
2: No. It's two
1: superpowers that will do anything within their power to win. Yep. They
0: both play dirty.
1: And that's why, like, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: don't think that Russia's more cruel than the U.S. is as far as what they're willing to do to civilians.
0: You don't think the U.S. has fucking bot campaigns that are probably more sophisticated than russia's like lame like christian facebook page <laughs> campaign yeah, yeah exactly. you know what i mean like what do you think we're yeah
1: yeah exactly
0: it's this is yet another proxy war which like we'll talk about this more when we get to present day but like mm-hmm. this week with the leaks from the fucking white house right. to the new york times about which me cynical take I think they're just they're trying their poll numbers are abysmal and they're like okay we have to look like like we fucked up royally in Afghanistan so now we got to look like we're tough so we're going to brag about the fact that we are actively aiding Ukraine in targeting mm-hmm. Russian generals and taking down that their like main flagship in the Black Sea which was a huge I mean that was like I think the biggest a uh, naval loss that they've had, Russia has suffered since World War II. I mean, yeah. it's fucking—it's a big deal that they lost that ship, and we leaked it to the New York Times, and the story ran this week, and blah blah blah. And everyone, uh, all the strategic military pundits and thinkers, are like, "Why the fuck would you?" Like, yes, of course that's happening, but why mm. would you announce that? Like, strategically, that right. gives that gives Putin that completely validates Putin's argument that like.
2: Exactly, That
0: we are in a proxy war with Russia and they do have potentially are totally valid and right in thinking that they can attack Russia or excuse me, attack the U.S. in response. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, and this is where like talking about two superpowers just at odds with each other, like, I I don't know what your position is on this, but like, I, I just have no doubt that like the United States goal since the 90s was... Like, to try and get Russia into a position where they are then considered the instigators. And so it's instigate violence full-blown or death by a thousand cuts. Mm. And so with, like, the Orange Revolution and this and now everything that's going on here,
2: it's like, I, it's a weird situation. Well you know, this is my off-the-cuff
0: thoughts on this. It seems, we've never really tried to bring, you know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we didn't mm. really try to bring Russia into the Western Yeah, despite world. them
1: requesting twice.
0: And, to be fair, Russia has been, <laughs> as my dad says, he's like, Russia's been a fucking pain in the ass to, like, the rest of Europe and the Western well world also forever. Yeah. You know, like, they've always kind of been these, like, This does sound terrible, but just kind of like a little bit from our perspective. And again, this is our potentially narrow perspective, but like kind of backwards and like in between two different worlds. And they've there's always been this perception that Russia is just like kind of different backwater. Like they aren't like the rest of Europe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to insult Russians, but like that has been the Western perception for centuries. And there probably is some truth to that. Like culturally, there's there are big uh, fissures, right, between East and West. And, you know, so maybe we couldn't. Maybe we couldn't really bring them in. I don't know. But it, but it, there has been this
2: conflict for almost ever. Right. Although they, they did, but, and I don't know this history well,
0: but, like, my understanding is that, like, Russia did sort of assist in some way during like the civil war, you know, the union. So they weren't always our total fucking enemy, right? And obviously we like uh, allied with them during World War II to, to defeat the Nazis, uh, yeah, but exactly. then but we I mean even then we knew like okay, we're going to have to like kick their ass when we're done with the Nazis. But um anyway, you're right that this is this these are two great powers that have been fighting each other for covertly for decades at this point and My point I was going to make earlier is that, like, especially with this leak to the Times, this is a proxy war. And it's funny because we were like, you and I were saying that Mm -hmm. weeks ago and all the, you know, best pundits were like, that's absurd. That's Russian propaganda. (laughs) This isn't a proxy war. And then literally all the pundits this week that I was listening to after this New York Times story, they were like, well, fuck, it is a proxy war. But now, like, everyone knows it's a proxy war. Like That was basically their complaint. It was like, now everybody knows. Yeah. You know, and it's like. Okay, like, I Which don't know. Funny. It's funny, and
1: for us, it's like, it seems like it's just dangling there, and just like, I'm really, like, pulling my hair out, like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and it's just gross that, like, I don't know, that we're, I mean, I guess there's a lot of strategic reasons why, like, this thing is, it's all inevitable, but it's yeah. also just, you know, when somebody has to get off the ride, I feel like. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it'd be great if we got off the ride before, like, you know, nuclear weapons are used. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mention the Odessa thing. Yes, please. 2014. Yes. Okay. I think that's important. Okay. So, so all so the Euromaidan uprising reaches its peak in mid February, late February. You know, by March, Yanukovych is has fled to Russia. New government takes over, uh, and they're starting to be fighting in eastern Ukraine and in which Odessa is in eastern Ukraine. So by May, early May, May 2nd of 2014, there basically tensions are running super high in Odessa. There are pro Russians, pro Maidan protests still happening or demonstrations still happening. And on May 2nd in Odessa, there's um, both sides are demonstrating and marching through the streets. This detail I'm a little fuzzy on, but I think that there was also, like, a football match between, I don't know anything about European football, but I do know, I dated an Irishman many (laughs) moons ago, and, like, I mean, they, like, kill each other over, like, their football rivalries. Soccer
1: hooligans are insane. Like, insane. like Just real quick, just derail slightly, like, there's a reason why, like, it's funny, like, I always joke, I'm like... Soccer hooligans will like burn their city down if their team loses. (laughs) And then if their team wins, they'll burn their city down. Right. Yeah. Well, that's,
2: yeah, totally. Or it's like, you know, (laughs)
1: stories of like people throwing, like ripping toilets out of stands and then like throwing toilets off of like the nosebleeds. Right. And like people dying getting hit by toilets. And like,
0: (laughs) it's insane. I shouldn't have laughed. I know.
1: Like crazy, like mob mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Like wild.
0: Totally. Well, it's like, it's like old, it's like all of a sudden you got these like Celtic tribes fighting each other again or something, like in that, if we're talking right. just about like Great Britain or whatever, but they, um, yeah, quick side note, I won't name anybody, but uh, I've heard stories about <laughs> someone in Ireland who participated in a riot post-game, I don't even know if his team lost or won, and they all, and like the opposing team one team's in the bus maybe it was the players the opposing team fans surround like mob the bus start rocking it until it tips over a fucking bus like a huge bus mm-hmm. tip the whole fucking thing over people get hurt people are pouring out everyone's fighting bottles like and then I'm pretty sure he had to come to America and couldn't go back for a while because I think there was like a warrant out for his oh. arrest or
1: something someone you know
0: there was just like a story like a real that, you know, person
1: <laughs> okay. Wow. This is like the thing of legends. That's well
0: of course this could be like a whole maybe none of this ever happened either. Well this is what myths I worked are. in a kitchen with him, so it's like who who knows? Oh, oh. A lot of tall tales were told in when you work in kitchens. If, well,
1: if you work in kitchens, one thing you know is like everyone's addicted to alcohol cigarettes and cocaine that's right <laughs>
0: that's true i was not but yeah, well, yes yeah. well me neither <laughs> right right
1: yeah but everyone else was, but everyone so else was. Fun, yeah. yeah totally it's insane so a lot of
0: <laughs> wild stories but that was the one of the stories i was told and i was like wow soccer sounds crazy um but anyway back to odessa so there was a convergence of these two different demonstrations pro-russia pro-maidan and then also like soccer football tensions happening at the same time and anyway whole thing fucking kicks off people start uh there was a pro-russian because there are more of them in the eastern part of the country uh encampment like protester encampment they the two sides start fighting the pro-ukrainian side ends up like setting fire to parts of the encampment people are like armed, you know. These aren't just like peaceful protesters with signs. These are people with like mm-hmm. helmets and defense clothing and whatever. Um they have guns, they have uh batons, baseball bats, Molotov cocktails. They have like they're throwing, There are reports that people are throwing paving stones, like they were like ripping shit off buildings and throwing things at each other like total chaos. Yeah. Um, the reports say that the police, like witnesses, you know, who knows if it's valid or not. Witnesses say that the police there kind of stood down and like let shit unfold, which I could see that happening uh, yeah. easily, especially if they realized they like couldn't get control of it. Right. So mm-hmm. maybe they just let them kill each other. But so then three people were shot and killed in the midst of this brawl. Basically, the pro-Ukrainians like kind of get control of the situation like they're winning and they push the pro-Russians into who are totally instigating the fight too. I don't, I'm not absolving them of like responsibility, like both sides were going at it. But, uh, the pro Ukrainian side kind of gets the upper hand, pushes them out of their little encampment because they start lighting shit on fire and everyone's shooting each other and hitting each other and whatever. And they push them into, um, a building, the trade unions building in downtown odessa or wherever and uh they kind of almost like herd them into that building they all retreat in there and then the pro-ukrainian protesters start throwing molotov cocktails and start to light the building on fire as people try to escape the building they're getting shot Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. they are trapped in the building essentially because they can't If they try to leave, they're going to get killed. So people are stuck in the building. People start jumping out of the building because they don't want to get burned alive. And obviously, they hit the pavement a couple stories down, die, or or mangled. In total, 42 people died. Mm -hmm. Eventually, presumably, the city gets control over the fire, puts it out. There's, you know, images of, eventually, they're like normal people there too who just like, Eventually are like putting ladders along the building and trying to get people out and like you know are not these mobs don't represent the whole population, right like in fact, it's probably a minority of the population, but like
1: it doesn't really matter no, and without right. rule of
0: law, like these mobs rule so mm-hmm. so anyways forty two people died. It's totally horrific and and I think that was i mean that was kind of a The fighting had started in the East, but that was kind of a pivotal moment. And of course, Russia used that very much to their advantage with propaganda of showing like, you know, Nazis are burning Russians alive, you know, it's just ugly. And again, to your point, like, there's no, there is no good guy. There's no bad guy. Like, it's just cruel.
1: Yeah, well, there might be no good guy, but I have no problem saying there's two bad guys.
0: You're right. Why did I just say that? (laughs) (laughs) You're totally right. There are lots of bad guys. (laughs) yeah it's not
1: neutral Uh,
0: (laughs) that's 2014 that's 2014 yeah remember
1: this is just 2014 and it's not
0: even all of 2014 it's like a four or five month period
1: right and we skipped off like a lot of like the random details of like actual like more the inner workings of like what was going on with government decision making and like all sorts of summits that were being made with like EU members as well as Ukraine and all this other like more like the political side of it like what the government was doing during all of this violence like at some point like that doesn't really matter because it didn't help so Mm. you know what I mean but like this is really I mean I think we barely dug into at least the violence of 2014 yeah and so I think it's a decent place to wrap up what do you foresee being our next big topic in this Ukraine Russia discussion
0: um, I guess it would be good to. I I kind of thought we would fast forward to today. Today, and talk about
1: the current. I think that'd be great, and maybe discuss, like you said, some of that proxy war stuff. Yeah. Um, I would like to.
2: I think we need to give a fair attempt at going through the Russia perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe
1: understanding their motivation or mm-hmm. why they justify
2: what they're doing. Um which I think ties into current conflict. Right. Um maybe we should do the um
0: maybe to set that stage mm-hmm. further we should do your idea of talking about these neo-Nazi groups more. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that'd be fine. I don't think that's worthy of like a full long-term
2: long term long episode you necessarily. Don't? Oh, I, I you mean did.
1: It, I mean it could be that we could really dive down into it if we wanted to, but um you know, I think if we spent 30 or 40 minutes going through um, some of these groups and maybe their founders and where they come from and, you know, ties around the globe. It'd be useful just to really, I just really want people to understand, like, it's not no problem. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, really understand that, like, this is something that if it's not a huge problem now, it's going to be.
0: It's worth noting, too, that, like, people I've talked with and and then just people, like, in the media no one's well that's not true there are people who are like Mm -hmm. claiming that the neo-nazi thing is just like straight up russian bullshit and it's not real more serious people you hear from acknowledge that it's real but they dismiss it as not as like um, as insignificant Mm -hmm. um so i would I, i think it would be helpful if we could kind of Dive into and, dis- and try to decipher whether or not it is insignificant. Yeah, that'd be great because it definitely so.
2: exists. Right.
1: Yeah, that'd be great, and so we should do that. And then current conflict, for sure. But yes, as always, thank you guys for listening. Um, it just seems like tough, getting heavier and heavier. I know they do. But that's what news and bruises for. Uh, right. So next time you hear from us. We'll be drinking a tasty beer and talking about some news. No guarantees is going to be chipper. Although initi- I, well, we
0: can try to. Keep, I, I can, know. We Initially, keep we
1: did say we're like, all right, <laughs> we're going to make these like more feel good. Right. Um, so it's funny. Yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll try our best <laughs> there. Um, as always, hop on Instagram or Twitter to keep up with us. All sorts of fun posts, tons of news stories, memes, all sorts of good stuff. Over on Instagram and Twitter's popping off. You can also follow us if you want. See what we're up to.
0: Leave us a review. Yeah, that'd be fun. Reviews are nice. They are. Even if it's just like a thumbs up emoji, that's
2: right, easy. Right,
1: exactly. No, tell us. <laughs> give, spill your heart out to us. Right. <laughs> um, and if you hate it, Give us five stars, but then tell us how much you hate it.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't be cruel. Right. We can we can take a hard review. We like
0: constructive criticism. Yeah, exactly. Like five
1: stars, <laughs> but I hate it. Yeah. And, and I'll accept that. That's totally fine. I'm going to say cheers. We cannot clink our glasses tonight <laughs> because we are drinking out of styrofoam cups. Microplastics. Yeah. Yeah. Microplastics. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. What happens when a Christianish agnostic, a liturgical post-Christian, and a female Methodist pastor walk into a podcast? You get Ravel. One in three people will experience a faith crisis in their life. Faith unraveling is often unexpected and lonely. It can quickly feel like everything is falling apart just from asking a single question. Like, does the Bible assume magic is real? Does being pro-life mean more than anti-abortion? Or how should faith inform how we eat? Whether you're deconstructing, reconstructing, deconverting, converting, converting, growing beyond toxic theology, or just asking questions, we're here to be with you along the way. Each Wednesday, we have a drink and pull on one thread concerning faith in the modern world.
2: Listen to us on the Highline Media Network. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.